Alright, it's Monday, May the 17th, the year of our Lord 2021, broadcasting live from, yes, a still pretty lockdown Capitol Hill. The Capitol is still surrounded with fencing, still not come down. And now there's roadworks everywhere, there's construction everywhere on the hill. They really like to make my life as miserable as it could possibly be. Actually, now I sound like a spoiled brat. It's a lovely day here on Capitol Hill, and it became even lovelier just moments ago when my two guests walked into our pretty makeshift, I think, National Post studio down here in the basement. But we like it. We'll bring them in in just a moment, but ladies and gentlemen, what a weekend. And I want to say what a weekend, especially to the National Pulse Artist Collective, I'm going to start calling them. This is the group of people who donate to support the National Pulse, and then we all end up in the same private Discord chat channel. That's one of the member benefits of that. And you can join up at fundrealnews.com. But I'll tell you what, sometimes I like to just jump into that. It's now... I mean, there's thousands of people who have signed up to this. I think at any given time, we have between 300 and 600 active people in the group. And sometimes I just like to jump in and have a long phone call with everyone. And we had a great one this weekend. We went over a whole bunch of things. So I want to invite you all to join us. Again, fundrealnews.com is the URL. Come and join the posse. And that posse has been busy at work today helping us Actually, with one of our one of our guests' good friends' rallies that's going on around the country right now. So, so Nigel Farage, the uh, Brexit leader, my old mate, and the good friend of one of our in studio guests today, Peggy Grandy. Who, by the way, Peggy, uh, welcome back. Last time we had you on the program, it was just rave reviews. Everybody wanted you back, so I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back. And everybody should know from this morning that uh, I announced on the War Room that Mike McCormick is also in studio with us today. Mike, we're so grateful for you and your time and your hard work. But Peggy, Nigel Farage is going around the country at the moment and he's doing these like, you know, let's get excited again about the things we believe rallies. I think that's the official name. It's a really long web URL. Um But he's being spammed. These rallies are being spammed by all these people, um, some real, some bots. And the National Pulse Artist Collective (laughs) has gone through, I mean, these are volunteers, and I'm so just grateful for them, has gone through and identified 135 accounts that are proliferating a fraud, you know, via Eventbrite, to make it look like Nigel has no people in the audience. You know, they're spamming it with ticket sales, so people think, oh, you know, it's sold out, and let's just shut it off. So we have 135 accounts now, and most of them are booking two, three, five, some of them are booking 12 tickets at a time for this thing. I know the same thing has happened with Matt Gates's rallies across the country now, and it just goes to show you, doesn't it, that the left can't win on ideas. The left can't win on debate. I mean, look at the responses to the Marjorie Taylor Greene asking AOC for a debate and suddenly that's a terrorist activity. Right. You know? You can't you can't ask AOC to debate you. And they can't win fair and square. So it's all it's always these tactics. And I'll tell you, this afternoon I even reached out to Twitter and I said, Hey, you know, what it, 
What are you doing about this? This is a fraud. It's brigading. It gets, it's against your terms of service. But you've got all these huge accounts. The pedo project, sorry, Lincoln Project included, which is doing this with 2.1 million followers. Right. Guess what the answer from Twitter was? Anybody? Anybody? Silence. Crickets. Crickets. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was absolutely just crickets mr mike mccormick you're absolutely correct so you know different rules for us different rules for them but hey i think that's how you show that you're getting under their skin it shows how you are winning it shows how you are you know turning the table look at this okay let's take let's let's start from the top here a hundred and something days into into the biden regime as i like to call it uh peggy uh author of the president will see you now it's a fantastic book Peggy Grandy, you're you're just you're kind of give us two minutes on the first hundred days. Wow, where do you even start? <laughs> I mean, this is an administration that continues to double down on bad ideas. Um, Ronald Reagan famously said, you know. The most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. And so if I could say one thing to the Biden administration, it would probably be, please stop helping. Everything they're doing is instinctively wrong. Everything they're doing is harming the American people, the American economy. Their instincts are completely opposite of where the American people are. And people are actually waking up to this, you know, whether it's the food prices, the gas prices, the gas lines, nobody's begging to go back to the Jimmy Carter era. And what we see playing out is one bad policy, one misplaced priority after the other. And the American people are being hit in the pocketbook. These are kitchen table issues now. And so Joe Biden has their attention and not in a good way. So what is he going to do with that? Everything that's coming out of the White House is wildly unpopular, even things like voter ID that they're screaming about. It's polling what? Almost 80% of the American people say, yeah, we should have voter ID. And so this is the way that they are going to continue to rule instead of, um, you know, ruling, Represent. representing. Right. They're going to rule because they know that they can't win on, on ideas, to your point earlier. And they know, I think, that they have a very limited runway to accomplish the things they want. They're looking at the writing on the wall for 2022. They're seeing the smaller elections along the way that they're already losing. They are having to bully their way through because they can't win on ideas and they cannot, they don't want to get bipartisan support and they cannot convince the people that what they're doing is right. They didn't need to win an election to win an election last time. Yeah. And I think they're thinking about the very same things now. There's a lot going on out there about, I mean, even even uh, Elise Stefanik, who I don't regard as particularly MAGA, she's sort of MAGA adjacent, right, um, is banging the drum on, hey, you can't stop this Arizona audit process. And the audit process has to go to other states too. Um, if, if, this, if the tables were turned, you know, we would have a full-scale investigation using every single piece of government, state, taxpayer-funded apparatus that exists. But we have these good folks down in Maricopa County doing God's work, and it has to roll out to other places. But Mike, I want to ask you this question, because we talk about the incompetence, right, within within this regime. Right. But is it really incompetence, or is it, or is it intentional destruction? You know, I worked there for six years. I worked with Joe Biden from 2011 to 2017. So I was his stenographer, traveled with him overseas. And I worked in the Bush uh, White House from 2002. Um, I stopped in 2007 for a couple of years. So I missed that 
Obama entry into the White House. Mm. And then I worked one year with Trump. So I got to see all three presidents sort of there, you know, sitting in the room. But I also worked as a stenographer for the press office. So I saw kind of what the press said, but also what they left out mostly. That's what my book is about. Joe Biden authorized in the 2020 crack of the Democratic Party. And the Democratic Party started cracking up in 2020. And it's accelerating right now. They are and led by Joe Biden and Ron Klain and the thoughtless people behind the uh, original Obama administration. They're just steering the car right off the cliff. And they have no, you know, one of the things I talked about a lot in my book, I wrote a chapter on how uh, um, Joe Biden handled, mishandled the uh, departure from Iraq in 2012. And one of the phrases I used over and over again was arrogance or carelessness born of arrogance. That's what we're seeing. And so you ask, is it intentional? I think they're intentionally arrogant. Mm. They believe they know everything there is to know. People in the MAGA movement are dumber than they are. <laughs> and, you know, that's one thing. Sitting in the White House in the Obama years, I sat through a lot of background briefings. So Dan Pfeiffer, Donald, uh, I mean, um, David Plouffe would sit there and have these briefings with the press. And beforehand, they would sort of joke around. And none of, these, none of these briefings were put out to the public. And then transcripts were done as a background transcript kept within the White House. They were always talking about how stupid Republicans are. That was their number one sort of characteristic of Republicans. It wasn't, their, it wasn't that they're racists. It wasn't that they were uh, wealthy and over, you know, you know, uh, overcompensated and, you know, right. uh, whatever, that white privilege, overprivileged. It was that they were dumb. And, I mean, that's what they think. They think they're smarter. And they've imbued in the entire political environment right now this concept that they have the moral high ground on race, on saving the environment, all these things. And they don't. They've just squandered that on this election integrity, this loss of integrity in the election. So let's start with your story here. This is this is a big deal um, because what we've done over at the National Pulse, as far as these, look, we're pretty short in terms of the resourcing we have over here, right? We're not, we're not um, Time Magazine. We're not the New York Times. We don't have, you know, uh, Zucker's money here. We don't have Murdoch's money here, but what we have is is the truth. We know where to start from. We know where to look. We know where to research, and a lot of the times we know what we're looking for. And I think that's kind of how your story has been has been birthed. Right? Is that you know what you're looking for, and you know where to look. So, Mike, you've got this. I mean, I think just stunning revelation about a meeting that took place in the White House Situation Room uh, back in 2014. And the story, ladies and gentlemen, is called Revealed. White House visitor logs reveal Fauci claim Situation Room meeting after gain-of-function moratorium. Let's start at the top here, because I am desperately concerned that Ron Klain is not a household name, and he needs to be. He needs to be a household name because a lot of the power flows not just through, but actually to Ron Klain at the moment in this current administration or regime, as I like to call it. So why does this why does this 2014 meeting matter? And what have we learned 
that is that is beyond what we already knew about gain of function and all of the characters surrounding it um well I didn't go looking for the story. This story found me. And it found me when you guys were doing the podcast on Nicholas Wade's article. There was something in the podcast about there was a uh, pause that was put in a gain-of-function research that had a footnote. And he, in his article, said, there's this footnote that put it in. Who put it in? And I said, I know how to find that. I'm going to look in the White House visitor logs. So I started looking in the visitor logs. And there, lo and behold... I just, all I did was look at 2014. That's when this note came out. Well, the, the note that uh, Nicholas Wade had, he has the, like in his, his article, he has the cover of this pause uh, plastered up there. It's October 17, 2014. That's the exact same day Ron Klain was named White House Ebola czar. Exact same day. Wow. And, and you know how White Houses work. It's not like... Barack Obama woke up in the middle of the night, lifted his head off his Mike Lindell pillow, his my pillow, and said, "Hey, I want to have." Hey, now, like, hey, 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 hey! The war room sponsored by Mike Lindell. This show is not, so there will be no mention of my pillow until he pays up. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, those things get planned out weeks in advance. So yeah. they they put that date of announcement for a reason, and they put it in exactly uh, the same time with this pause that had this uh this footnote so within a couple within days uh fauci becomes the number one spokesman for ron Klain. there was an immediate uh uh, criticism against Klain. why do we have a white house operative in this position he doesn't have any medical background that was uh ted cruz senator cruz said that well you know, so so they trot Fauci out. Fauci goes on every news show that weekend. Does that sound familiar? This is Fauci going out and becoming a media darling within minutes. And Ron Klain set it up. And so they started having these meetings, and he and Fauci became the, the dynamic duo, the boy wonder and, you know, Batman of Ebola, the Ebola czar thing. And it was a critical time because it was 2014. This is October. And what had been happening up to then was... They'd, been done, they'd done a terrible job on containing Ebola within Africa. Obama did a pretty good job sending troops over there, mm. but then people were starting to come back, and they were coming back with the disease, and people were really worried. Well, this is spreading around. It's deeply contagious. And one of the people that was tweeting criticisms right, left, and center was Donald Trump. This is right before the 2014 midterm elections. So they had to do something. They threw Ron Klain into it. I guarantee Joe Biden had a big say in that happening. And so then they started this, this Fauci claim program where they claims, I mean, Fauci started having all these meetings, but what's also important about this time period is after the election. So they lost, they lost big time. It didn't work. The uh, Republicans retook the Senate. They had, they added seats in the house. It was a disaster for the Obama administration. But at that time, like I said, they planned things week, weeks, months in advance one thing that was on the calendar was an 11 uh, in the middle of uh, November meeting between Barack Obama and President Xi of China in China. And they were going to try to pull out this big, uh, what Obama needed at that time was a win because yeah. he'd just been defeated. Right. He was going over there with his tail between his legs. Right. And the Chinese knew it. The Chinese know that all the time. They know more about us than we know about them. They so, know more about us than we know about us. 
Yeah, exactly. They do. They come into us. I remember one time I walked out behind the White House. I was just going to my car on the ellipse, and I saw this elderly Asian couple, and they were taking pictures of every license plate of every car on the ellipse. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> and I said something to one of the uniform, uniform division officers. I said, hey, they're taking pictures of the license plates. And the guy just went up there and said, hey, stop. And they did. Mm. That's what the Chinese do. <laughs> That's what they do. And they know everything about us. We don't think yeah. in those terms. They do. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I've been listening to the, uh, the I think it's Clyde Prestowitz book uh, that just came out on this. And just the, the amount the amount of, of um, you know, leverage that they're always amassing, always amassing. And again, you know, it's not like this needs stating, but I guess for the, for the, for the, errant lefty listening to this who maybe we've popped up on your podcast feed by accident or maybe you thought you'd give us a chance we're not talking about the chinese people here right we're not right we, let's be very clear this is the chinese communist party and the apparatus of the chinese communist party and so mike let's go back to this before we bring peggy back in for for some reactions to this because there are just layers upon layers upon layers that we're going to continue to break down here. And it would, of course, be wonderful if we could throw everything out into one story and do everything all at once. But we're doing it as quickly as humanly possible. I know you are. I am too. Right. And what's really stuck out to me about what you've discovered here is not just that, that, that Tony Fauci goes in on the um, 17th, right, of November. Right. After this meeting with Biden and Xi. Right. So the preliminary meetings are setting up. What is he going to say to Xi? What is he going to say to Xi? Right. And he gave away the farm, in right. my opinion. And so then they go into this eleven seventeen meeting. And what happened on the 17th, early in the morning, they go into the old executive office building. We have the receipts. We have the, and the visitor logs. We have them signing up this meeting. Fauci goes in. Klain goes in. There's a group of people that go in. They're all, you know, sort of senior administration officials. And something happens in that meeting, and they become, it becomes important to them to go into this, situation room and just, it just let's break that down yeah because so the visitor log i have it up in front of me that shows that this meeting was originally planned by ron Klain on the 15th of november 2014 the original meeting with the five other people takes place right uh uh david j horowitz who's on the legal side of the ebola crisis leslie dark who's a former Walmart exec, then went to work at HHS, Health and Human Services. You've got uh, Mitchell Wolf from the Center for Disease Control, and you've got Ron Robinson of, of BARDA, which is the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. All right, that's already pretty a pretty big wig infectious disease meeting right. right there, right? So you have that. But then later on in the log, it's made clear that a subsequent meeting was then ordered later that day. So something happens in that morning meeting where they go, We've got to get you in the situation room. Exactly. Now, let me ask you both. The situation room is, is why would they have gone from, you know, office 210 in the EOB, the executive office building, to the situation room? Well, you've done the research on yeah, it, who, but who I do mean, you want clearly, in that meeting? It, there was an escalating situation right. that they wanted a close hold on the information. They wanted less people to have access to it. And perhaps, you know, they're going to be planning something that maybe should not have been discussed in a wider audience. Right. And that's pretty terrifying, actually. Right. And I think what happens also in the Situation Room, um, they have feeds coming in from around the world. Yeah. Intelligence services, all yeah. kinds of things. They can get a commanders on the ground right in there. I mean, we've seen the pictures of Obama looking right. at the head helmet cam photos of the 
Osama bin Laden reign. Mm -hmm. I think they might have been checking in with somebody, intelligence services, somebody giving them advice to the president. That would have been the president in there. If if the president hadn't been present there, or potentially the vice president, they would have just held that meeting back again in the the old executive office building. They didn't need to come in and... To the situation room. Right. So they went in there for that specific purpose. High, they had to talk to the president, and he just had this meeting with Xi. So to me, it's him laying out his vision. This is what we want to do. They signed, they sort of made this public announcement of this agreement. We're going to collaborate with the Chinese on infectious diseases. At this time, there's also this footnote. Yep. You can do that. You can't do gain of function in infection disease research right. unless it's a national security or uh, there's two. Yeah, this is what you got right. from that. Um, from the footnote. From, from Nicholas Wade's footnote. Right. right, right, right. right. And, and these are important details because, and I know a lot of the audience is already aware of this, but these are important details because they're not going to be volunteered by CNN, right? Sure. Not, even if they find these things out, they're not going to be reported on. And so it may seem like, okay, yeah, look, there was a meeting and you got the White House visitor log for the meeting. But it's things like that, where you have a morning meeting in the EOB and it then escalates into a situation room meeting, unbeknownst, we, we, you know, they didn't know that they were going to do that right. before the morning meeting. Late in the afternoon, 5.30 p.m. was the start. Right. And so that, that opens up a whole load of more questions. And look, I want the audience to know, we've thrown Peggy in at the deep end here. She hasn't had eyes on this story prior to this. Um, so, so uh, you know, I don't need any detail on the, on the infectious disease side from you, Peggy, but, and, we'll, and we'll pivot in just a moment. But just to conclude on this with you, Mike, I mean, wh- so where does the story then take us? Now you've asked this first question, you've, you've, you've asserted that we know these, these sets of details. Where do you go from here? So shortly after this, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give you two quick quick points. Obama makes a big public relations pitch through Klain uh, in late, uh, late November, early December with the NIH. He goes out there. He does a visit. There's a famous photo of him and Fauci and another researcher standing there taken by Francis Collins. And that goes on. And that was been on the Internet as sort of misrepresenting that, you know, the the person who was a researcher was uh, Bill Gates's wife. So it's a fa- it's a fo- well-known photo. And he does a speech out at NIH. Thank you for doing Ebola, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Within two months of that, Ron Klain is out of the White House. He's no longer the Ebola czar because um, Joe Biden's son, Bo, is sick, very much sick. And so right. he doesn't have much of a future there. Mm-hmm. So Ron Klain pivots. Pretty soon after that, after Bo passes away, Ron Klain is pivoting towards being in, uh, affiliated with the Hillary Clinton campaign for 2016. I think what happened was Bo Biden got sick and got really sick, yeah. and it changed Ron Klain's trajectory sure. and put him back in later at 2020 when, it, when you know we see the gain-of-function result in the Wuhan laboratory. There's Ron Klain waiting to step up with his old pal Fauci and that's what they did. And they, you know, Fauci, as I said in the, as I, I think I said in the thing, uh, Fauci was a dagger that um, Ron Klain and Joe Biden, the Democrats, used to stab President Trump in the back over and over. You know, just for anybody who thinks that you might even be being insensitive when talking about Bo Biden there, I, I want to just weigh in on, on, on something you said, because I've now listened to Hunter Biden's book twice. 
yeah. through. Um, because actually, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed learning about the Bidens. It, it, it informs my research and, and it informs our, our reporting as a result. And, you know, Hunter's been very clear in that book where he says, look, events often interfere with our political ambitions as a family. And he talks about the... Um, where was it? The Dylan Roof, uh, the Dylan Roof shooting. Oh, in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, and he talks about how that was derailing part of their their uh, their work as a family, and this is very much the same thing. And this is happening to Ron Klain at the same time because Ron Klain is part of the Biden family. Right. Yes. Right. Look, we're going to have lots more reporting on this, Mike. Anything else that we should know? Anything you want to tease in the meantime? Um, well, I think you want to get. On, on Twitter, all the listeners, get the hashtag uh, Fauci claim going. Because the more claim gets tied into this Fauci problem, right. the better it is for MAGA. Because Klain is the mastermind behind making the uh, 2020 pandemic overwrought. And we've got to get behind, get to the bottom of that. And we are getting to the bottom of it. That indeed we are. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to help us do that, make sure you head over to fundrealnews.com. We are people-powered and people-funded. Zero money from any corporate interest. Not like they've reached out, <laughs> but not like we have either. Um, and, and I'm just so grateful to all of you out there who have uh, who have contributed so far. Peggy, I know you haven't had eyes on this story yet. I know we kind of threw you in the deep end there, but sometimes... Uh, we have to cover a lot of things here, so I wanted to get I wanted to get into that with Mike. Mike's a, just an incredible job of laying out some of the details here. Anything, anything before we move on to topics? Anything there that you wanna you wanna pick apart, make mention of? Any questions for Mike? Yeah, I just think it it shows that China plays the long game, and we often don't. And it shows that the Obama administration, and now unfortunately the Biden administration, seem to be facilitating and helping. China play that long game against us. So that should be very concerning. And if there was nothing there, then they wouldn't be afraid of people poking around asking those questions. But when there's an opaqueness to answers and they dance around the truth, that's when the bloodhound instincts come in, that there must be something there. And that's when people start to go looking. So I appreciate Mike looking into that, bringing that to light. And I think it's definitely something we need to continue to follow because we should we should follow the truth. If they weren't afraid of the truth, then they wouldn't be hiding it. All right, let's pivot a little bit now here. Talk about some of the other things that are going on out there. And we'll start, I think, by talking about... I was going to say Lieutenant Colonel. You guys say Lieutenant Colonel over here. That's right. Um, Matthew Lohmeyer and and the Space Force and critical race theory. And, and, and I mean, just this incredible job by, by Jack Posobiec and others over the last 24 hours, 48 hours, and the creative destruction media guys to, to elevate this story about, about Lieutenant Colonel um, Lohmeyer being fired from his command at Space Force because he's been out there giving interviews about a book he wrote, and the book is about the dangers of Marxism and critical race theory. Peggy, how is it in 2021 in the United States of America, a member of the U.S. Armed Forces can be defenestrated 
over criticizing Marxism. Right. We've come a long way, and that's a, a <laughs> not very a good way. Sad, and not in a good way. Um, and we see that the military, unfortunately, has become a political activist arm in so many ways. And their number one focus always should be fighting and winning wars. And so, anything that deters them from that should be put to the sideline. But we see that that's been brought to the foreground. We see it in their recruiting videos. We see it in the policies coming out of the military. And none of that makes us as the American people safer. None of it laser focuses on mission priorities. And we should be terribly concerned about that. On the same hand, um, people who are active duty military need to be very careful of what they do. Their words carry weight. I know even when I was a federal employee, I was very limited from doing media or writing opinion pieces because I was currently employed by the administration, and you know that going into it. And so there there has to be um, some sort of standard for that, but it needs to be applied both ways. And I'm curious as to how many people who have spoken out um, in criticizing the right or having these extreme left policies, have they been censured or fired in the exact same way? And I would doubt that. But there needs to be good order and discipline in the military. We see the damage that was caused when these four-star retired generals, even under Trump, were touting all of these criticisms toward Trump, those carry a lot of weight. And so our active duty military and even our retireds need to realize the authority that they still claim and use that with caution. Mike, you know, I want to get your take on this as well. Right after, you know, the great insurrection that never was, right. you had this, and this is why I started calling it a regime, right? Because you had the Biden people um, effectively doing political purity tests for the National Guard. They were taking off duty those who had posted things to their social media that were not effectively were, were, were anti-Biden or anti-Democrat or, you know, had any affiliation with the political right. So it goes right to your point, Peggy, that it, it, this isn't applied both ways. This is only being applied one way. And I, I take your point about, you know, once you are once you are serving in a particular position, there are rules that come, come with that, but there are no rules that come with it for, for people on the left. So why should we be treating uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer any differently, Mike? You know, I... I uh you asked about January 6th. I went down to this president's speech. I was on the Washington Monument grounds. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't realize we had an insurrectionist in the room. <laughs> Not, yeah. I didn't go to the Capitol Hill. I just went Tough down. Luck. And, Tough I listened, luck. I listened to a speech by the president. And um, one thing that I think, and you said this in the podcast this morning, that it all goes away. If this year doesn't work for them, it all goes away for decades of their work. If this goes back into when Peggy was in the White House, this goes back to the, the it's a 30, 30 year going back in time. That's who's behind this, this race theory, this uh, manipulation of race and uh, the military and, you know, the, even the environmental stuff. I remember I, I, I put the time period for the very deep division of race in this country at the victory of the Tea Party in 2010. That's when the Obama White House really turned into, they, they toyed with it going up into the 2012 campaign uh, against um, uh, Romney and Ryan. And then they started coming out with this phrase, no more old white guys. And they kind of still use that. 
But this summer, it seemed to have morphed into Black Lives Matter. And that's kind of what's become critical race theory. And this promotion of this, you know, you know, some people call it socialism or, or communism, whatever. I just think it's it's aggressive politics that's gone into the deep divisions. It, it's it tried to play a, play a role in exacerbating race divisions, not even divisions, just differences. There's just differences in race, but not divisions. But exacerbating those. And the Chinese are just standing back watching. And they don't <laughs> care who wins. You know, as either, if either side wins, one side loses, the division is what they're after. And that's what's been going on since 2010, and it's been going on to the Obama White House. And, Peggy, you were right. You said the, they're working with the Chinese. They really are. They absolutely are. You, you know, BLM founders have said, quote, we are trained Marxists, right? That is a quote. Um, we recently, Natalie Winters recently got a video of... I think it was Patrice Cullors saying that her book uh, should be thought of like Mao's little red book. I, I, I don't think it, it can be denied anymore as to what these people want and how they intend to achieve it, right? You're, you're, you're channeling the single most uh, deadly, deadly. I, I mean, I use that word literally. Right, the the ideology of communism that has killed hundred plus a million people over the last hundred years. I mean, it's not like we should have to play one-upmanship games over this, right? All of the authoritarian deaths that are on the hands of dictators over the last several decades, of course, all need to be condemned. But right up there at the top of it is BLM's ideology and the people that they idolize. And that they want to be like. Can you imagine for a second if I said, well, you know, of course, my uh, my book should be thought of like Mein Kampf. <laughs> right. Now imagine. Yeah. Imagine. Or like Pol Pot. Right. Or, or anything like that. Right. I mean, frankly, if I said nowadays, if I said, well, my book should be thought of like Barry Goldwater's, they'd lose their you know what. Right. But she gets up there. And I said to Natalie at the time, um, you know, nobody's going to cover this. We're going to be the only ones out there that cover it. Right. I think I think the Daily Caller did a thing on it, but it, this wasn't leading the news cycle as it would be were it the other way. You know, if Steve Bannon went up there and said like, which by the way they did to him, right? He had this throwaway line once upon a time where he said, "I'm a I'm a Leninist," right? And that's now in every single bit of Steve Bannon canon, you know, literature that's out there now. That won't be in everything that's ever written about BLM. Is what she said about about the little red book. It won't be right. in. It won't be. It's certainly not on her Wikipedia profile. And if I tried to put it on there, it would be purged immediately. How dare you? Right. Yeah. How dare you? But Mike, your point is well taken. That it's the division that is the goal here for for America's enemies. And listen, it's not just uh, look. The phrase "America" is. I'm. I'm. I'm sorry to say this. I'm sorry, especially to say it in the accent I'm about to say it in. But America, as a word, means less and less every day. You're right. For the world, it does. Yes, you're right. Because it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that that city on a shining uh, hill, shining city on a hill. It doesn't mean. Um, the, the pioneers who who I think about this all the time. I think about the people who lived, you know, in in the tundra or in the or in the desert just to get to the other side to plant some roots mm -hmm. down, 
who had to fight off bears, you know, on a daily <laughs> basis just to get some food and some water. And, you know, I was watching a YouTube video yesterday. Sorry about this little rant, but I think it's important. I was watching this YouTube video yesterday about the role of women in 1800s America and how, like, the, the level of hardship that was even just in keeping a home warm, mm-hmm. right? right, And keeping food there. And, you know, they had this little machine which was churning butter. I mean, this was a really fancy device at the time. It rocked back and forth. Have you seen these ones? Yeah. And their job was to kick it every so often and keep it swinging so the butter would churn. I would not have been a good pioneer woman. <laughs> <laughs> Nor would I. My kids would have been, right? Mike, would you have been a good pioneer woman? Uh, no. <laughs> but, but, and that's... Growing up, that's what I thought of America. I was like, oh my goodness, these people who went through so much to do so much. And now when you say the word America to people, even in England, but, but, but around the world, their heads start to fill with, oh, George Floyd riots right. and, and, and Patrice Cullors buying herself three mansions. And this, what you, to come back to your point, Mike, the division. The division is what, peop- what, what people recall yeah. now when you say the word America's Peggy, look, you are one of the most reasonable people that has ever been in my life. <laughs> Mostly because I surround <laughs> myself with, <laughs> with people who are no less than, than totally divisive, right? Whether it's Nigel Farage <laughs> taking the Brexit movement from being a 3% movement back mm-hmm. in the early 90s divisive you might say at the time to build up that that thing but then he he brings people together right uh, and now look at brexit 70 percent approval rating mm-hmm. and going up by the way yeah. so the reason the question i want to ask you being a reasonable person i am not <laughs> i'm a very unreasonable person how do you is it possible to bring america back together it's always possible. I mean, I work for Reagan, so you know, I believe that it, it's always possible. It can be done, is one of his big quotes. But you know, intentionally right now, they're dividing people because there's power in numbers and there's weakness when you divide people. And we see a complicit media that's covering the tracks of these exorbitant statements. You know. Uh, bringing Marxism or communism to America. That's not something that the American people are celebrating. And yet you've got a complicit media, which is basically saying, well, the end justifies the mean. And they didn't really mean that. And let's soften that. And let's change your concept of what that word means. I mean, we see the redefinition of terms happening all the time. And so they're changing what the words mean. So in essence, they're saying, you're actually the crazy one because you think that Marxism or communism is dangerous, but actually it's going to be really good for you and you're going to like it. So we just need to rebrand it and and change it into something that's more palatable. What they don't count on is the American people are smarter than that. And the American people, to your point, were founded on resilience and perseverance and independence. And we don't need a government telling us what to do. We, the people, tell the government what to do. And so you have an American population that is looking what's happening in Washington and is completely disconnected with it. They don't believe it. They don't like it. They don't want it. And I think that they're going to make their voice known in 2022. They're very frightened about the direction of America. They're scared about what's happening in their schools and in their communities. The 
humanitarian crisis and the national security crisis that's happening at the southern border is pretty soon going to affect everybody. And the American people are not going to put up with that. And they shouldn't. And so everybody should be free to speak their voice, to make their discontent known, to get involved. Um, Because once they start getting involved and seeing what's happening in their local neighborhood and their schools, they don't have to know the ins and the outs of all the policies, but they know what those policies do to their homes and their families, their churches and their communities. And we've seen the overreach of government, especially during COVID, especially perpetuating this pandemic like they have done recently. And the American people are smarter than that. So I always have hope for the future. I don't have necessarily a lot of hope for this particular administration. I think we're going to have to suffer through it, but um, hopefully it will shine a light on the truth of the American people that they know. They know the truth. Let me push back a little bit on that. If, if, and I'm not saying that, that my fellow countrymen are any smarter. I don't think about this as, a, as an external criticism. It's a, it's, a, it's a communal criticism of all of us, of all of us across the Western world. If we're all so smart, but question for both of you: Why did why did we elect Joe Biden? <laughs> we didn't, did we? <laughs> you did it! You did it! I was waiting for that moment. That was exactly the right answer. But okay, fine. Didn't elect Joe Biden. Why did we go along with the? I mean, fifteen. How did fifteen days to slow the spread turn into a year and a half of full-on tyrannical authoritarian misery? Peggy, I was telling you before we came down here to, you know, my wedding is taking place towards the end of this year, uh, as long as I don't do anything wrong. <laughs> and we're told that we will not be allowed to dance at the wedding. You can have as many people there as you want now, you know? You're going to be able to have full court press, you know, jam everyone in. Um, the, the, there's not even going to be any mask mandates there, right? Science, science, science. But you can't dance. You can't dance. <laughs> that might be fun. <laughs> no fun's allowed. Oh, no, no, no. But I mean, you may, be, you, you may be serious there when you're saying they are trying to suck the life out of us, mm-hmm. right? This is no longer about slowing the spread or anything like that. Now, it's how much can we just keep humiliating them a little mm-hmm. bit? And, mm-hmm. and keep them down and keep them depressed and keep even keep them angry angry is fine because they haven't done anything with their anger and when they tried to do something some people tried to do something with their anger look what we turned it into right you know yeah well so we're not that smart Reagan said it best when he said, you know, whatever else history may say about me when I'm gone, I hope that it will say that I appeal to your best hopes, not to your worst fears, to your confidence rather than your doubt. And we see an administration now that is leading with doubt and with fear. And we as American people are drawn to leaders who lead with confidence and best hopes. And I think we are aspirational as a people. We always want to believe that the best days for America are still ahead. And we're not buying the lie that our leadership is telling us now that America's best days are behind us. There's a dark winter ahead. How opposite of Reagan-esque can that language get? And people don't like that. They don't want it. They're not going to listen to it. And in their heart of hearts, they know better. Mike? Um, I, th- I think that uh, the word capitulation is what we have to talk about when we talk about where we are with this government that we're looking at and the Democratic Party. I mean, the 2020 crack up of the Democratic Party is the second part of the title of my book. It is coming. 
And we have to keep pushing through the podcast, through national polls, through War Room, everywhere where we can, because they're they're on the ropes. I don't think the audience understands how fragile the Biden White House is, but I do. They are really fragile. Jerron Klain and Anthony Fauci are in our sights, and we're coming after them right now. And what happens is they get a lot of cover from the media. They get a lot of cover from the tech oligarchs, but they get a lot of cover from uninformed Democratic people, and they're starting to sort of ponder, wait a minute, what's going on? How come you guys are so sure that these election results are wrong? You're, you're crazy. You're wrong. That's going to start to change. And this is going to be the 2020 crack of a Democratic Party. And when a significant number of moms who don't want their kids stuck in school with masks, or they want their kids back in school, no masks, regular kid childhoods, they're going to start standing up for themselves like we had on the podcast today, like you saw in the war room. And so that, I think those, that time is coming. And that it's like what you said, Raheem, they are really scared of where it's going to be because the capitulation is going to mean 20 years of nothing for them to talk about or do or have power over. Right. We didn't get to it and we're, we're, we're short on time today, but that, would have maybe led me on to this next subject, but I do want to just recommend to the audience that they all check it out. That is this exclusive up on Newsweek right now, and it's called Inside the Military Secret Undercover Army. And Newsweek, which is, you know, not exactly revolver.news, right? It's not exactly the National Pulse. Newsweek alleges that some 60,000 people now belong to a Pentagon secret army, effectively, which is informing on both uh, foreign and domestic uh, uh, assignments. They, they are contributing towards both foreign and domestic assignments. So I guess my question for both of you is, are you one of the 60,000? Because you know if you're a police, you have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, um, no, no, nobody's answering. <laughs> uh, no. Um, not. no but not. that is a seriously scary thought, mm-hmm. right? The weaponization of the American public against the American public. In a, on a mass scale. Again, it's pride, uh, providing division and it's a distraction from the real enemies that we have. I'm not saying that there aren't enemies internally here domestically, sure. but sure. our true enemies are enemies that have said they want Americans dead, death to America. We, again, we don't believe that. We soften it. We say, well, I think maybe we can do business with them or maybe they don't really mean that. No, they actually mean that. And so why aren't we focusing on our, our attention on resources, on people who have actually said they hate us, they want America as it's known to end. And instead, we're using those tools to bully the American people. And that's not right. It should end and these things should become transparent and the American people should be terrified by it and also push back on it. Now, both of you have marvelous books, must-read books. Um, Peggy Grandy, um, your your book, where can people get it and where can they follow you? You can get it anywhere, audiobook, ebook, hardback, paperback. Follow me on Twitter, sorry, still there, Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn, Peggy Grandy. Mike. So I'm going to do a author talk, uh, a Zoom author talk with Sophie's Corner Bookstore in Miami. She's in Miami, just in the Miami International Mall, just down from Trump Doral. So if you're ever flying into uh, Miami Airport, go by Sophie's Corner Bookstore 
I got and my Trump Doral baseball cap on right now. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I think it's a golf. Cap. And she's a she's a dedicated conservative who runs a dedicated conservative bookshop. That's very rare. She's one of the few bookshops, and she might put your books on her shelves. She's great at excellent. You know, where, where is she located? In, in in Miami. In Miami. Oh, that's and, cool. Yeah, and so on uh, May twenty May twenty fifth. We're going to do, uh, it's on her website. Her website is sophiescornerpublishing.com. And uh, May 25th, we'll do an author talk. You can get a signed copy of the book. It'll be great. And I'll talk about what we just talked about yeah. with our story in National Pulse, plus the Hunter Biden laptop story that, you know, we did a couple, about a month ago. Well, there's not just that, but we've got a lot more to go through yep. on that. Yeah, we sure do. Um, we also were supposed to do a special on hunter biden's book which steve keeps delaying and delaying so if he doesn't want to do it we'll do it here sounds great in studio on this podcast so i'll find out from him if that's a thing um peggy grandy mike mccormick thank you so much for joining us here today uh, on thank the national you, pulse Always thanks raheem thank you great to work with you peggy <laughs> well. all right ladies and gentlemen <laughs> that was absolutely awesome i love having just not just great intelligent guests who know the context of the things we're seeing now a historical context and a global context but also people that are upbeat and that because i i struggle with it and i know you guys do too i struggle with it sometimes it can often feel like the world is crashing down around us and and now, honestly, after that, what was it, 45 minutes that we spent with, with Peggy and Mike, now I feel like I've got the energy to go out, go away and do more, which is great because I need the energy to edit Mike's copy. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's great. It's perfect. It's the best. It's the best copy. All right, Mike uh, and I will have more stories up on the National Pulse shortly. Make sure you head on over and get their books. It's, it's the least you can do for such happy warriors on our side. It's Mike McCormick's Joe Biden Unauthorized and his 15 Years of Deplorable. It's Peggy Grandy's The President Will See You Now. And of course, if you want to support our work, head on over to fundrealnews.com and join the likes of Alan and Abner and Stephen, Susan, Drew, Stephen, Edward, Jill, David, Stephen again, Jeff, Catherine, Douglas, Jack, Susan again, Edward, Michael, Robert, Mary, John. The list goes on and on and on. Those are just some names from within the last few days of people who have joined us, who want to support us, the work that we're pumping out. Mike McCormick, Natalie Winters, Raheem Kasama, the whole rest of the team at the National Pulse. And we'll see you again later this week.